Welcome back again to this free episode of TF. It's me, Riley, and I am having a beer in the studio. It is a dunkel from a brewery mm. that just seems to be uh, called... Oh, no, it's called ABK. I'm having an ABK We have zweimal beeren uh, <laughs> here with my uh, friends in the basement where we like to <laughs> hang out with our family. Uh, and with me is Milo. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 me, your your jungen. Ist ja. Nate's on the boards. Hallo, es ist Nate. Ich trinke Tee. Ich habe ich trinke Tee. Ich habe gar kein Bier, weil ich will nicht Alkohol trinken. Ich will normal sein. <laughs> Nate, you sound you, you sound incredibly Austrian. How come when you guys both speak German, you sound like yeah. like that's just naughty how, little boy? That's just how German. I'm doing it intentionally, obviously. Yeah. I can sound normal Nate, in German. This is deeply like Christoph Waltz paying Hammer Also, we have Alice. We have mm. it's, it's welcome to German future. Yeah, gross. Uh, we also yeah. have Alice. Gross. Yeah, so they, welcome to welcome to Trash Zukunft. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be Müllzukunft or something like that? Just also, yeah, willkommen nach Kornerspäti. <laughs> yeah. mm. uh, yes, uh, we have Alice and uh, shifting back to English now, of course, oh, so let's uh, turn on the automatic translator for all of you guys yeah, that translates absolutely. the German to English. We'll be speaking fluent German yes. for the whole of this, but we've got a deep fake translator doing yeah. our voices. We pay, it, was, it was a startup that only tr live translates podcasts. It is worth uh, $500 million and it's owned by SoftBank. Mm. Uh, we also are rejoined by returning champion, activist, science fiction writer, Cory Doctorow. Cory, how's it going? No, was machst du, Schatzi? As a hilarious aside before we end German chat, so my wife lived in Switzerland for a while. She's pretty accustomed to Swiss German, which I'm not. I live in Germany as a kid, but Swiss German to me is baby talk. And <laughs> she played me a video from a Swiss channel, and the, the narration was in Hochdeutsch, in like weirdly accented Hochdeutsch, but still I could understand it. But then when they started interviewing people, it was just like, oh, yeah. watching SF Science will absolutely melt your brain. I watched the fucking like weather report in on like SF Science, right? And like the guy was doing just regular Hochdeutsch for the weather, but then doing the like folksy asides about, you know, it's going to be like, oh, it's going to be a cold <laughs> one tonight. <laughs> but, like, yeah, like, yeah, entirely in the like, I have a mouthful of cheese, which I'm chewing. <laughs> Swiss German. <laughs> That's it right. is cheese, not gold. <laughs> I, I grew up going to a secular socialist Yiddish school. Mm. And so oh, wow. I speak, I speak terrible Yiddish, which means that I speak even worse German. But exceptional Swiss. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I lived in Crown Heights in, in Brooklyn and being around lots of, of Hasidic people and, and Orthodox people, I heard people speaking Yiddish from time to time. I'm like, I can kind of listen in on their conversations, but kind of not understand a word. And it's always just like, it's the same sort of variant. It's like, it's German, but it's just like, if you, I don't know, if you, you auto-tune German to the wrong notes is the best yeah. way to describe it. Mm -hmm. so, but hey, um, all, of, all of what you've all been saying, all of your German prowess has been taken into Rishi Sunak's great big computer, and he spat out a bunch of job recommendations for you because unfortunately, the official guidance from the chancellor appears to be that uh, no job in the creative industry is viable and everyone should just give up and retrain as something else. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we should give up on having arts and entertainment. That, well, that yeah. won't be there. We can't afford it anymore. And everyone worked at a startup. We made the goats from Fallout Three. We have a, a like an RPG character creator where you are asked a series of questions and then it assigns you your class. I, I've been yeah. assigned a Keller Putzer. But if you if you want to say what it actually is. Uh, Premium, uh, premium TF subscribers will recognize that the government has created a version of Nick Gross's Find Your Grind app in oh, order great. to solve the pandemic uh, unemployment crisis because there aren't any jobs, but everyone just needs to get skills. And then if we all close our eyes and we all learn COBOL or whatever, uh, COBOL, what is it, the 80s, uh, then a job will appear in front I of us. I do like that uh, after we started posting about this, uh, it immediately like fell down, like the server fell down. So yeah. the trash future bump is real. Too many people are trying to retrain. Yeah. That's the problem. So, um, a, a just leaving aside what a what a fucking dismal division of what life can be that is. Like mm. again, the same thing of looking at children of men and being like, "Yep, I'll have that, please." Sounds like a good society. Let's do it. Let's take the remaining art. Put it in the Battersea Power Station, and then the rest of the country can be trudging in cages. You've been you've been reassigned to train riot guard. <laughs> um, speaking in my capacity as a dystopian science fiction writer, it is warnings, not suggestions. Uh, they they, they mm. finally automated your job. Like they just took it away from you. No no one's writing dystopia yeah. anymore because it's just happening. Oh yeah. no, Corey! You've got you've got Al Murray, the pub landlord syndrome, where you're writing dystopian fiction, and then someone's going like, "This is a very interesting paper someone's written on how we should reorganize society." <laughs> but yeah. we all have taken we've all taken the um the quiz, uh, which again, it's, I'm going to take it right now live on it. Seems to be giving recommendations in terms of dystopian science fiction more in line with the insane computer that runs Paranoia, <laughs> uh, because it told me that I should be a. Resort representative. Oh, you'd love hotel that. Hotel porter. <laughs> you would also love that. I'm Riley. Uh, <laughs> or a sports agent. The toilets are over here in this guy's mouth. You would love all of those things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like hotels. I don't necessarily like hotel portering. I'm not sure. You would, you would teach the fucking like Waldorf Astoria, uh, like uh, stores department, how to do agile. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and also, you could do. Be, I could be a stunt performer or a museum assistant. Cool. <laughs> I, I got told to be a paramedic, which is cool. I would 100% do that job, except in Britain, you have to go to university to be a paramedic. Like, it's a three year degree. Mm -hmm. And, and it so becomes it's a like, bike paramedic. Yeah. So it's just one of those things where it's like, cool. I would, I definitely think. It's like 27,000 pounds minus yeah, expenses? Yeah, that, that's in London. And it's yeah. well, 20, 27,000 pounds to go to school. And then the salary is between, let's say, 25 and 30,000. And I would be almost 40 before I finished. School uh -huh. and was starting like yeah, that, that's Sounds absurd. Good. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. I told you, insane computer from the role playing game Paranoia. I got I, I got <laughs> police officer and Royal Marines officer. <laughs> Who's the cop? Now? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was also suggested that I should become a soldier, and I'm like, uh, have done that. I yeah. don't think I would like to do it in Britain. I've already I, hilariously deep fans of the show will know the story maybe that randomly when I was in infantry school our, we had a visiting NCO from the British Army as our sergeant major for the, the, for the, the first sergeant for yeah, the company listen up lads 
So <laughs> legitimately, I was getting yelled at by like a Sandhurst instructor. And I was just like, what the fuck is going? Why is that guy's hat weird? Why is he carrying a stick? And then randomly, like on a machine gun range, I guess I popped up too high when I was trying to fix my, my, the light machine gun I was using in that training exercise. And I hear this voice go, are you bulletproof, sir? <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> like, what about more of that? What, don't you want more I of that? I definitely want more of that in my life. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he then fixed the saw by hitting the charging handle with his helmet. Uh-huh. Until awesome. it fucking budged. Was his head bulletproof? And then he said to me, Now, Sergeant Majors, we're fucking bulletproof. <laughs> and I was just like, Normal I don't people. know what's going on. Yeah. You want you could be either sort of tens of thousands of pounds in debt for a job that doesn't pay very much, but also like I mean, you know what their solution to this, of course, is make the paramedic qualification just you pay a thousand pounds, fill out a short form, take a box that says, I know how to do a paramedic stuff, I'm not lying, and then, you know, off you go. Try your best. You know, believe in yourself. Here's a copy of the secret. You could help uh, hit that. That uh, all paramedic calls are answered within eight minutes metric, where where famously they just said yes, we'll do that by uh, refusing to send paramedics to people who are more than eight minutes away, and also sending paramedics <laughs> on bicycles who don't have any of the equipment they need to treat people. But a paramedic on a bicycle just comes up and is like, "Ooh, yeah. boy. just showing up and like yeah. sucking Ooh. your teeth, just like, Ooh. it's just bad gas." <laughs> Don't like that. Oh, I thought like you've had a right clump here, mate. Like, he gets, oh, he gets oh, the, the, regular, the regular paramedics started by just miming what they would be doing. <laughs> due, due to like the British state's psychotic insistence on like defunding everything, including the police, who like keep them yeah. in power. Like I know they really are. They do like playing I, on hard. I genuinely, mode, don't they? I like, genuinely ooh, appreciate like, they're playing that. like kaplunk yeah. with their own not being guillotined. <laughs> like, oh, how many police officers can we cut before there's a violent like, revolution? I, 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 I'm p- applying that same process. I apply to be a police officer, and then I simply get to drive around in the car, just like slide across two lanes of traffic, go up to a guy doing a crime, and be like, "You don't want to do that." Ooh. Ooh. No. I, I'm halfway through taking this test, and I've just had two questions back to back, which are, I, "It's like, do you agree or disagree?" Right? Uh-huh. Uh, I like to get to the center of the issue. Mm-hmm. Do and, you? And this one is, I like working with facts. <laughs> I like working. With, I love working. I with love facts. working with vague fictions. <laughs> it's it's going to come up like coal miner. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Corey, Corey, what what did you spec as? While Milo keeps going through the character creator. Well, let me start by saying that I have a control here because I took one of these tests in my final year of secondary school, which was my seventh year of secondary school, and uh, and and it advised that I could become a geriatric nutritionist. So that's your that's your like <laughs> ground time. truth. Still here. time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, so I, oh, sorry, I nutritionist a... for geriatrics. <laughs> <laughs> I am nearly fifty. Uh, I got uh, so I got a, a, a actor, which seems like not a great choice if you want to get out of the. Uh, arts. Um, also, mm-hmm. there's a lot of travel-related stuff, like you guys, uh, hotel room attendant, uh, yeah. uh, travel agency manager, tourist guide. I don't know what future they're training me for. Also, boxer, though, and I like boxer. <laughs> Everyone got boxer! You're just fucking jacked, Corey. No, I, 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 I actually, I looked at this, because like, lots of people were posting the results they got. A lot of people got boxer. I want to know! It's <laughs> just like someone has gone, some boxing promoter, like Dave Courtney's <laughs> yeah. brother, yeah. has gone to the... Listen, mate, do me a favor. We're right short of bare-knuckle boxers here. If you could just... We need we need a bit of fresh meat. People keep getting brain injuries and quitting the game. <laughs> Slipping so Richie Sunak 50 quid to get boxer moved up the list. I want to know why I got Royal <laughs> Marines officer. Why the Marines? Oh, Alice, that's the most you thing ever. Come yeah. on. Yeah, that's it's true. You, it knows you, that you and Jimmy Savile serving on the front line. <laughs> it knows that you like, Alice, it knows that you like to be festooned. That's true. It's I love being the- festooned. 
it somehow worked out that I had once lived in Hackney because it recommended microbrewer. Uh, I was disappointed <laughs> that I didn't get like leather apron fashioner or mustache wax creator. I like yeah. to make very small yeah. beers. Milo, what do you what do you uh, got? I'm at eighty percent. No, speed run. Uh, 80%. I like I like doing things in a careful order. <laughs> it no, depends. haphazard fictions, vague, careful order, <laughs> podcasting, never. <laughs> Um, I like to follow rules and process. Simply, simply disagree. Do, <laughs> do, do strongly Jackass. disagree for everything. I feel restricted when I have to follow a routine. Strongly, strongly agree. agree. <laughs> um, I like to see the results of the work I do. Agree. Yeah, it's a nice yeah, thing I to have. Like to see your Johannes Vonk I in like the clock. I like to get involved in making things. Strongly. Strongly agree. Mm, absolutely. Ninety-two okay. percent. I enjoy getting involved in practical tasks. Mm, strongly agree. Do those practical tasks include bombing a hospital in the Yemen? I wonder. <laughs> I like working oh, with my hands or tools. Do they involve being punched in the head for several <laughs> minutes? <laughs> That's getting involved with an activity, baby. Uh-huh. I enjoy planning a task more than actually doing it. Strongly disagree. You also say, error, error, your accent says otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Assessment complete. See results. Okay. All right. Uh, what you told us, your answers show that you're a creative person and enjoy coming up with new ways of doing things. You're motivated, set yourself personal goals, and are comfortable competing with other people. You're sociable and find it easy to understand people. You're a practical person and enjoy getting things Why done. Why did they replace the economy with a cosmopolitan quiz? Uh, ten, ten job categories that might suit you. Uh, right, hang on. Okay, which, uh, which category should I pick? So it says creative and media, construction and trades, or sports <laughs> and leisure. Creative and media, because that's what you currently do. Okay, answer five more questions. All right. Oh, man. Jesus. Are you comfortable with talking through things with other people so that they understand? No. Sure, why not? Yeah, <laughs> no, totally I disagree refuse. with the rest of these. Yeah. Are you comfortable working with a team with other people? Uh, are you comfortable doing a variety of tasks in a job and open to things changing? Hmm, okay. I mean, I'm a podcaster, so. Uh, are you good at thinking of new ways to do something without being told? Yes, yes. I would say you are. Usually. You normally um, make me realize Nate I'm doing is my career's advice. I'm doing something completely wrong the hard <laughs> way. And Miles are you like- able to read well? Me can read good. <laughs> um, okay, all right. See results. Fuck it. Let's do this. Drama. What are you going to be? All right. Job roles that might suit you. Actor. Uh-huh. Copy editor, commissioning editor. Yes, give me that job and I will take <laughs> spitting image off the fucking air. Give me that pissing job. I will commission so much dank shit on the BBC. You, The, the people of Britain are not ready for it. Oh. Just an hour of just fucking cum town, 9pm yeah, BBC not? One. Bring back the Wombles. The biggest commissioning flex of like recent years, which was Graham Norton announcing publicly that he would not work for Channel Four anymore until they re-aired the transphobic episode of the It Crowd. Well, that wasn't oh, Graham cool. Norton. That was Graham Linehan. Did I say Graham Norton? Fuck. You did. Graham Norton. This is what happens when you <laughs> oh, pull no, me to record when in the line. middle of dinner. <laughs> Wait, I answered two more questions and got soldier. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. No, say, every commissioning editor is two questions away from taking up arms. Soldiers <laughs> take part in peacekeeping missions supporting humanitarian efforts or fighting in combat zones around the world. And Do nothing now else. Um, Wait, this is the dialectic between me and Nate, right? Which is that Nate was an army officer and wishes he wasn't. And I, I'm not an army officer and kind of in a weird way wish I had been for the simple uh, life, you know? Yes. Just sitting around like mumbling Russian sometimes. Yeah. To decla- for the simple life, to declare exactly. war on that TV well, show because it's 2006 and you're yeah, an edgy is comedian. It, uh, knowing Milo as well as I do, I realize he would actually have been really good, except for all the times when you're told to do something incredibly stupid and you have no way to say no. <laughs> yeah, I would sort of like, he would absolutely melt down. My wife's the exact same way, so it's just no, it's not good, it's dumb. I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you on my. I'm. I, I'm exactly with you though. Like I'm exactly this. 
like, I don't, I want to be an army officer, but in like West Germany in the 90s, where my only job is to like steal Jeeps. I now would like to turn your attention to a, because I've been worried recently, like that I've, I keep finding startups that are like kind of similar to one another. Mm. I'm like, oh, it's another way for you to spy on your employees. Oh, it's another thing that's just payday loans that are like legal because it's a tech company. It's another Wi-Fi enabled dick cage. Yeah, it's we've seen it before. It's just another <laughs> Wi-Fi enabled dick cage that had a crucial security flaw, and now people can't get to their dick. <laughs> the news for which was broken by another Wi-Fi enabled sex toy. I learned about this through like an actually quite well written tech journalism thread by buttplug.io. <laughs> <laughs> so needless to say, we will be talking yeah. about that in the future. However, today... I, I love it when Romanian hackers email me to tell me they know exactly what I haven't been wanking to. <laughs> so today, we are talking about a... Because I have given up hope on this segment in general. However, today, <laughs> we, are, we are talking to a, about a company that has renewed my hope that there are other kinds of tech companies okay. out there. Because this is a startup that I swear to God, if I didn't know who it was conceived by, I would say was conceived by a precocious six-year-old over the course of a 30-minute drive with a parent who's half-listening. Awesome. Is that not also the vibe of this podcast? It is called Cooler Screens. Oh and fuck off! Here's Immediate fuck off! I would like. I would like. I. I. I don't. I don't want funny yuck 'em up guesses because I want serious. Serious guesses. What do you think? Cooler screens actually does. And I'm going to start with the man across from me. Is it um? Is it like a some kind of system to stop your computer monitor from getting hot? No, Nate. It's a service that you pay monthly to give get cool backgrounds designed by cool people on all your screens. Close, but not in the way I know what you're thinking of. It's it's that's the ballpark, but it's like different. Spotify, except to look like you have taste when it comes to your okay. wallpaper. No, uh, Corey, hit me next. Cooler uh, screens. What does it do? I think it uses machine learning to try and create subliminal messages that train your brain. It does do that, but it does it in a very <laughs> specific way. It does that in the form of the '90s swoosh as a desktop wallpaper. I, I want to say what screen, what kind, of, what do we mean by cooler? It goes through and changes the font on your devices to the cool S. Specifically, what do we, what do we <laughs> mean? Every letter is S. We're gonna Good do, luck deciphering it. <laughs> we're going to do this one more time, and we're going to make it more specific. What do they mean by cooler? Oh. Um, okay, we're going to find it, out. Does it put leather jackets on stuff? No, we're going to. Is it temperature cooler? Does it something to fix the temperature of your screens? It doesn't. Inv- no. Cooler it, is it, it locks you. Oh, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna say uh, it's its first tagline is a cooler way to shop. Yeah, it it locks you in the solitary confinement thing from The Great Escape. Oh yeah, it gives you a baseball. It's also been funded to the tune of a hundred million dollars. So this is not just some. This is an idea that has been seriously well funded. Screen is it? Is it personal device screens or is it like advertising? I didn't think of that. Cooler yeah. platform. The Cooler Screens technology platform was designed and built from the ground up to deliver on the company's vision for consumer experience. Parentheses CX. Okay. Corey, I'm going to throw across to you. With all of this information, do you have are you any closer to what Cooler Screens does? So I'm just thinking about all the Callum McLuhanites I know, and and assuming that this has something to do with like you know when you're when you're in a hot medium, you don't make rational consumer decisions. You can offer to your consumers the chance to have a cool head when they buy things so they won't face buyer's remorse. 
no, that's too smart. Sorry, this is a stupider company than that. I love it when companies describe themselves as doing something from the ground up, as if that isn't how everything is done, apart from, like, high-altitude bombing of cities. Here, like, here at Wheel Reinventors, we like to do everything from the ground up. That's right. Uh, I'm going to do another one. A cooler approach to privacy. We believe mm. consumers can experience the benefits of a digital technology Is this going to be blinds again? <laughs> uh, close. <laughs> without, oh, fuck just, the blinds. Like, I remember we, that we, shit. We take, like, we, we've done SoftBank. We've finished with them. We've finished with Wirecard. So what we're doing now is a deep dive into the curtain and blind industry. <laughs> That's right. Hell You're yeah. not going to know what hit him. <laughs> this is just carpet somehow. <laughs> um, without, but it, the benefits of a digital technology without compromising their perfect in, their personal information. And I'm going to do the next one right mm. right now. Cooler Company. We dream and deliver. We're technologists, designers, merchants, and dreamers who created cooler screens to bring the power of digital to, and this Six, is the big hint here, mm. bricks and mortar retail. Six months later, uh. Interpol Financial Crimes arrests everyone involved in this due to a cockamamie series of frauds. Uh, fuck, I know, I know <laughs> oh. what this is. I know what okay, this is. Okay, Milo, you seem to know what it is. This is when the fridges in a supermarket that have a glass door, they replace the door with a screen that's exactly the same as if oh it was just glass because it displays what's behind no! it. I was thinking yeah! that! I was thinking yeah! that! Yes! Yes, it rules yes, he so gets hard. It. He this fucking is like something got it. Kafka would come up with. <laughs> it's fucking signifier and signified all in one fucking place. I love I it. Fucking yeah. shit. Milo, change your name to Milo yeah. Dino. I am investing. <laughs> I've, I've knocked this one into the top corner from the halfway line. <laughs> yes. Also, don't forget, its valuation is not. Its valuation is not public, but it has been invested in. Up to the tune of a hundred million dollars, which means it's probably not that far off from being a unicorn. Amazing. Awesome. Uh, I want to so, know if you can have little flies crawling around on the food inside the fridge on the screen. Uh, mm. You actually... Oh, well, who's in this fridge? Mike Pence? Pence uh, oh, oh my goodness. Right. Yeah. What is this, a Romaniac? <laughs> oh, damn. Well, yeah. Yeah, I say that Donald Trump, he's done for now. Yeah. Uh, so they say, bringing the power of digital to the cooler aisle. Yeah, we can change I the coffee to say coffee. I love Digital as a noun, and yes, Alice, I was absolutely about to make that joke, the but I was like, "Is it too much? Digital. Am I am I over egging the pudding to use a Milo yes. expression?" But uh, the pudding, the it's, pudding it's can never be over egged when so it comes over to mm. fifi jokes. Um, <laughs> bringing the power, like they've brought the power of digital to lots of things over the years, but I feel like the cooler aisle was one thing. <laughs> I would love to do it for just like an ad, like for things that it has genuinely helped people, like bringing the power of digital to child pornography, genuinely <laughs> revolutionized the game. <laughs> But like you know, you, you know what this actually well, it is. It did more though. for child pornography than it did for coolers. The, what, what this actually is, though, in practical <laughs> terms, like and your mandatory Simpsons reference is Moon Pie. What a time to be alive! Say <laughs> 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 cooler screens replaces the old glass cooler doors with new you <laughs> old. I hate it when oh glass. They've been using that since the Roman times. <laughs> Fuck that. With new digital smart screens that seamlessly integrate into the existing retail environment. Awesome. The retail environment. So this, There's a part when you me. open the door, it's just Juicero uh, slurry packets. So That's like right. it's a pear, and then you open it up, and it's like a foil packet of pear slurry. Uh, I mean, I, again. I was in the kitchen at the office space here, and I found I saw a huge like bulk size container of Huel powder. So I'm kind of vibing with this right now. But to me, it's like. Wouldn't it make more sense just 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 dream with me for a second here? Wouldn't it just make more sense to use this sort of thing to like 
do real time inventory as opposed to just like a cool screen. Like I would rather, if I was running a grocery store, I think I would rather know what's on the shelf and what's moving fast versus slow versus having Blade Runner the shopping experience. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like all of these companies where they come up with the first idea, right? And they never think what problems is it causing. They, they come up with the first idea and then they say, okay, well, now we're going to solve all the problems that this caused. So they're like, okay, we have replaced all the glass doors. And by the way, these are like increasingly in every Walgreens. So they're going to be inescapable. Some people listening will have seen them. Um, it's a recent rollout, but I like Walgreens is. Oh, I'll, 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 you'll know. I'm just, I'm just envisioning. I mean, the Walgreens and like Rite Aids and stuff I've been in in my life back in America, and like, so what you're saying is that basically the like the say like the back the sort of perimeter cooler cases where they'll have stuff like like frozen and chilled stuff like those doors are going to be replaced by screens. Yes, and then and what are the screens going to do? Well, they're going to show the thing. But I like it's that you it, assume yeah. that it will know what the inventory is. I think you've got it backwards. I think that there are underpaid, at-risk, mm. mask-wearing, low-wage employees who have to open the fridge periodically and barcode all of the stuff inside it so the screen refreshes. I don't think the screen knows what's in there. Yeah, the screen doesn't know what's in there. Yeah. Oh. Uh. Um, no, it's like so, a, but crucially, you can't see it easily. No, it genuinely, you just, truly, John we Cell like, never considered the screen on the on the fridge. Does it? Does it truly know what is in the it fridge? It reminds me of that app from the App Store in like 2010. That all it did was like it was just it looked like a cool 3D rendered gem, but the app cost like a thousand dollars. People were like thought it was something interesting and bought it, and then they read the description because they apparently spend money like idiots, and it said like people will know how rich you are because you have this app. Like it's basically yeah. that just yeah. for. For freezer screens as opposed uh, to... So they say... Well, they mm. say it's... At, well, because the, all of these ideas, right? It's someone has an idea and then they realize that if they can create enough sort of crenellations and structure around that idea, then they can get millions and millions of dollars. This is what happened here. That What if we replace cooler glass doors with screens that show a display? Okay, well, how can we make that desirable for anyone and solve the myriad of problems it's going to cause? And then instead of just saying... No, let's not do that. They say, well, time to get engineering. So here's a little <laughs> bit more information. Uh, yes, they are being rolled out in Walgreens across the country in a number of Canadian retailers, such as Loblaws and Zares. Uh, and other technology in partners. real? Those aren't real names. Loblaws. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he's branched out from the law blog. <laughs> yeah. I, no, I, that's, my, that's my local grocery store where I was like living in Toronto. Yeah, I, I bought okay. a lot of gumballs in the Loblaws machine growing up in oh, Toronto. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's for sure. Bob Loblaws Grub Shop. Bu buying yeah, right. gumballs in the Loblaws is a fully like uh, bunger bob Canada for Big Pill. Ben. To Brian Adams B yeah. size, what that is. Uh, so, um, other to their tech main technology partner is Foxconn. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Um, isn't so, that a Nintendo thing? What, what's going to happen no, is the suicide you will have like a suicide oh, cool. net that will have a screen in it that can like dispense suicide prevention advice to you <laughs> as you hurtle towards now it. Now we know what they're going to build at that factory in Wisconsin, right? Mm, like yeah, we all said screen. it was just a scam. Who needs giant, giant flat panels anymore? Right. And now we know. Yeah, that's every it. Walgreens. That's the real shame is that, you know, all of the growth in suicides in America, the benefits haven't gone to American workers because it's all being produced overseas. You know, they've been outsourcing <laughs> yeah. it to China for years. And even though American consumers are the primary purchasers of suicide, it's all made in China. So uh, the, also, it will not surprise you to learn that the reason this is in every Walgreens is that the co-founder was until recently the CEO of Walgreens. Huh. Ah, what a useful yeah. coincidence. Mm. Oh, oh mm. concerning. How? What a, what a, oh, wow. That means they're coming to Boots as well, by the way. Mm. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> Walgreens owns Boots. 
I love it. The, really? the screen has to explain what yeah. a meal deal the, is. The, to the shaky yeah. hands meme, uh, the flat screens, and um, like people on Twitter with locked accounts, and it's coming to boots. Um, so here is their pitch to the consumer right your 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 joe six-pack your joe average consumers can now instantly and easily access the most applicable and up-to-date information offerings and promotions in store just like online cool like glass the up-to-date information on what's inside something like if it had a glass door that you could see through milo 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 this allows the uh, this allows mm. the company to put a little badge on the new products that says new. But they got you know oh. what this is. Well, now that you it's say in that. the fo- in the absolute final form of like the treadmill of simulacra, this is going to kill off Glassdoor, the company, because now it won't be a metaphor <laughs> that anyone understands anymore. <laughs> It'll be like the little floppy disk icon for save. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Now they, As- can, now they can turn the glass door into like Fanny Craddock starts talking to you and is like. You want a Twix, don't you, you filthy little boy? That comes into it. Oh, what? Christ. As You're a kidding. result, Cooler Screens modernizes the in-store shopping mm. experience, but also improves information access, relevance, and transparency, which I think is an ironic third thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one thing about glass is not transparent. <laughs> we hate that. And again, they do it again in the next sentence, with this improved visibility, again. <laughs> <laughs> Consumers are more confident that they are making purchase decisions that fit their budgets, taste, and health preferences. Again, unlikely you could do just by looking at like a little thing that says the price and then the thing. Isn't this also because inevitably some Zoomers are going to like hack the freezer doors in Walgreens and start playing Fortnite on them? Yeah, they're going to be able to do that. Or or like you you just go and get like a drink and it just says all of this stuff is just says go gamer p. Like, <laughs> it's the only fridge I go to. Yeah, yeah it's, so, it's got all the advertising this... livery and, and it's got all the advertising livery and fonts. But instead of giving you offers, it just says who what playing with they worm or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Isn't this also a massive waste of energy? Yep. Cool. <laughs> yes. It's it's a waste of energy, both like uh, of electricity and also of our psychological energy. <laughs> yes. Thinking about and it. Also, like the thing is, sometimes like uh, this question was asked to me, like, why should anyone care? This is all just rich people scamming one another, and it's like, yeah, that is is a fair point. Sure, but, but like, it's but a thing that is, makes right. your actual life much worse because now when you're in boots, you have to like look at a fucking screen to go get your gamer girl pee. Yeah, well, it's it's a combination mm. of things, right? It's that, but it's also that you know, like these these are still the productive resources of society, and we're directing them to this because of marketing, and it's useless. Uh, but anyway, so here's their pitch. More importantly, to brands and retailers, that's what the actual money. The consumers' <laughs> pitch is like: Are you in t- are you tired of your retail space being all Vanta black and obsidian glass for some reason? <laughs> this is a problem that many people have. So their um their their pitch to the consumers is basically like: Maybe you could see some new information that wasn't available on the box, perhaps. Mm. Um, uh, which is you know basically like we need a pitch to Love consumers. That. We can't not have one. Write one. Take five minutes. Yeah. Here's their pitch to brands and retailers, and that's where the money is. So with cooler screens, brands can for the first time engage wait, wait, with wait, consumers in store. Wait, 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 can I make a prediction? Please. Is there a Bluetooth tracker in there that's trying to identify you when you look at the screen? Uh, no, there isn't. Yes. I think there, yeah, no, there isn't yet. And that actually does come up later. Why aren't I on their advisory board? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> brands can for the first time engage with consumers in store. They've never been able to do that before. <laughs> Yeah, but That's, this is yes. 
but Milo, Milo, this is a screen. Uh, it's just like this is. I, I feel like we are like this. This startup is a child, uh-huh. and we are its mum. Uh, telling it that we have food at home. <laughs> and it's going like, but I want the lime green thing. <laughs> it says they'll increase sales and market share by delivering the right offerings and messages at the right time in the right place to the right well, audience. This, is, this and- is hinting at essentially what Corey is saying, right? Which is that yeah. the next logical step for this, and the only way it makes sense, is micro-targeting. That, that yeah, you have course, some absolutely. way of knowing who is looking at the fridge, and then you tailor the fridge to be like, oh, this is this person likes getting Game of girl pee, and then you just change the fridge. Yeah. The fridge is just like, if you drink enough Red Bull, your dick falls off. <laughs> an actual Brought to you by Monster startup. Energy. There's a, there, I saw a presentation from an actual non-horrible startup that was a non-profit that was repurposing grocery store eye trackers to make really cheap eye trackers for people who are paralyzed, which are right now very, very expensive. Mm. And they've mass-produced grocery store eye trackers, which are a horror thing so much that the economies of scale have kicked in and people who are paralyzed can now enjoy them. Mm. Huh. That's actually I good. guess surveillance mm. capitalism but, was but good. But also, on one hand, what's weird but is... entirely accidentally, and that's very important. <laughs> yeah, and I would also mind. say, weirdly, I had zero idea there were such things as grocery store eye trackers. Yeah, when you're, like, looking at the candy bars. Time. Yeah, oh. they're, like, oh, yeah, they're, no, they they're know. figuring out whether you grab a candy bar after looking at the candy bars and where your dwell time is and all of that stuff. Yeah. But the good um, news is that they probably don't derive anything useful from it because the so-called data science they do on the back end is just, you know, pure garbage. No, they know so yeah. much about what kinds of gamer girl pee I've been I wonder, I wonder if they have microphones to detract me saying Astrogfila every time I see a brand I don't like. <laughs> so um, here's the real pitch, though. With cooler screens, retailers can now enter the digital media business, Ooh. tapping a massive growth opportunity to show ads. Everybody's a data farm. Yeah. Um, and... And the, but they actually say, "I'm just a simple are, country data farmer." No, what they actually say is, "We're identity blind." Been what they what they're tr- uh, they're trying to, to make a whole feature of this that it respects privacy. They talk about like the data protection cycle, all this stuff, and they say our our tech our cooler screens never seek to identify individuals and never gathers or uses personal identifiable if that's information. Actually, yeah. true, then they'll just get owned by the next people who will. But like, yeah. it isn't. But it's also it's also funny where if that's true, they're basically just saying that privacy is a feature of a billboard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Look, awesome. we've, look, we've just I built this, this panopticon, but we're not going to look out from this central tower. <laughs> yeah. Privacy is a feature of a billboard unless you're on the billboard. Yeah. In um, which case, Grandpa, you know. was there so, yeah. a time when the eyes on the potatoes weren't watching us? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, think about what this means, right? Because the actual ads are like these 30 second commercials that play across banks of like 10 coolers or whatever, which means now no one can see what's inside them. It's a mystery. <laughs> yeah. Just, hey, if you, you open it, just, you got to buy it. Do you want to make shopping a baffling ordeal? Absolutely. There has been a fiasco. <laughs> Um, yeah, so they offer brands access to millions of consumers with contextually relevant mm-hmm. messages. So, for example, if it's hot outside, then the all of the coolers will play a message saying, you know, beat the heat with Gamer Girl P. Yeah. Oh, beat the heat. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, just like that, the only way to make this better is to have, like, all the screens are continually playing ads, so you can't see what's behind them, but also all of the stuff on the shelves is on a continually moving conveyor belt. <laughs> A total, just a, just a, just to, a craps toss the dice. No, we've, we've just experience. made all shopping into the generation game. Yeah, that's omakase for groceries. Potato waffles, and you're gonna enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
so the you can also you have ads that are affected by like the weather or the news they say. Oh, I love it when it's affected by I, the weather. I see nine like eleven has like happened. <laughs> you must be sad. Would you like a like a, a can of Gamer Girl pee? You get an animation of a fucking Boeing seven four seven flying across all of the cabinets in the store before like crashing into a huge skyscraper at the other end. A second wave of freshness. I yeah. think what this is missing is the frozen treat glory hole feature where you just get down on your knees, swipe your Apple Watch, and it fires a, a, a frozen <laughs> confection directly into your gob. Oh, awesome. It's that so cool. Just, um, you know, and- having a bad day over the next catastrophe and just being like, Dad, do you remember the time before the event? Have a Mars bar. So these- why are you holding your asshole up to the Mars bar cannon? <laughs> are these interactive? Like, can you touch them? Because um, that's- Not yet. Okay, good. That's a good start. No, it, was, it was supposed to be. What I was thinking was supposed to be touchscreens, but hmm. then they didn't. They couldn't figure out how to do it, and oh. so they gave up. I hate that. Good. Just in time for the the massive pandemic where we shouldn't be touching stuff. Yeah, it was going to be touchscreens, but then people kept using their hands to do nine eleven using the the <laughs> memorial <laughs> twin towers graphic <laughs> on the screen. Also. Like, like what kind of news could they could thou be coming up on those? It's just like COVID infect COVID infections like reach new heights every day. Mm. Unemployment is spiking. Have yeah. a fan. The, 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 the screen is now worth fifteen billion dollars. The president is actually manic tweeting. Would you like a Red Bull? <laughs> oh man, the Trump speech yesterday. I was absolutely yeah. losing my mind. And just like, listen, the medicine they've got now, it's incredible. We're going to give it to you, the seniors. I'm a senior too. No, he said, he said because, I'm you're, because you're vulnerable. They say that you're vulnerable, but you're not, but you are. Yeah. My, is he, he switched now. He's like, I'm actually very young. Yeah. He's gotten younger. <laughs> yeah. We are watching I, I, Earth's coolest man like devolve mm. into steroid psychosis, and I'm loving every minute of it. I, I, personally, I'm very excited for Trump's 29th birthday. I'm just not going to say which one it is. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm waiting for the come down. I'm waiting for the wave of anger and depression in about like a day and a half. Um, oh, that yeah. should be right, fun. Right now, Trump, right now, he's still talking to you in the smoking he's area. Gonna and fucking saying, you should go for dinner. He's, my balls, folks, have become very small. He's going to nuke Tajikistan. I mean, and that would be cool. Let's be real. <laughs> All right. But let's all the Tajikistan nationalists in my mention. No yeah, cool. Take back the what you said Tajikistan. about Tajikistan. Yeah. <laughs> it's German. Do not say you are on Tajikistan. You are in Tajikistan. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, did, that's. Did he remember to take bad. his 5 HTP before he took his steroids? Yeah. Otherwise, right. the crash yeah, is going to be sure. terrible. Yeah, it's just he's eating. Mm. He's eating bananas and watching re- reruns of Thirty Rock. Also, like, he's like eh, no, it's lame, but it makes yeah, me feel and, young and, like, again. Bear in mind, taking trip advice from Tom Asher. Every, every like everything we know about his health, he's incredibly unhealthy. He has awful habits. He's never going to stop having them. It's going to hit him like a fucking cinder block. Luckily, yeah, all the party chairs and leaders in both chambers and the Supreme Court and all of their major donors are young and healthy. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, the only yeah. one who's actually like taking it seriously is Mitch McConnell, because he's the only one who has like an actual political program. He's like, no, I'm not. I'm not going to go like sit next to those disease carriers. Are you fucking crazy. Yeah. He actually has said that he's like, I refuse yeah, to go. Yeah, to yeah, the I, was, I, was, I was thinking about that. Today. Yeah. He's like, yeah, because yeah. he's the only one who's not like, you know, an, 
an, an, I, oink, an oinking George Mason ideal, like uh, hooting Chud. He understands what he's doing. I don't know if looking like a big owl made of sausage is a risk factor for coronavirus, <laughs> but if so, Mitch McConnell really needs to be isolated. I mean, I, I actually I knew somebody who had worked with horrible, horrible rich people in New York and who actually uh, had gone to a meeting with Mitch McConnell for a fundraiser thing because some one of this guy's clients was a horrible rich person. And the guy tried to make small talk with Mitch McConnell at dinner and sort of like, hey, man, so like, what are you into? And he's just like, this. And he's like, networking. Like, what what do you, I love. He's like, just say whatever you want to say to me. I don't care. You're going to give me money, right? All right. Talk. Like, that's genuinely how much of a fucking just craven piece of shit he is. He, he doesn't care about anything besides <laughs> what he wants when he will not tell you. Yeah. He wants to build, he wants to build an extra, extra like mm. mansion on top of his speedboat. And that's what, and he's realized how he's going to do it. No, and he's this not is how even he's doing into it. anything that understandable. Like, the things that Mitch McCullough are into is like dark, satanic shit. We cannot we legally not, say we, for we certain that, he, say that he's into that. But in my shit. imagination, he is into things which are. D- evil. Yeah. Im- Im- yes, imagine, imagine the contents of his, uh, his fridge displayed on a fucking flat screen. <laughs> it's it, it's it's a hot day outside. Would you like it's some so child blood? In blood? <laughs> we do not know if that well, is. Is, yeah. is it to me? There is something kind of there is something kind of hilarious about that. That even though he's such a reprehensible person, that then when seated across from someone who's so rich they can bend reality to their whim, he's like. I'm not going to respect you, you hog. Just fucking do, say whatever you want. I don't care. Like This I is do- also the thing I like about Trump, like his willingness to absolutely be a gigantic <laughs> piece of shit to everyone around him. Because mm. <laughs> all the people around him suck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he is like, he, in a way, he is doing praxis because he's horrible to the world's worst people. <laughs> but hey, uh, speaking of this, you know, coterie, th- hey... Is that a clown horn? Because we're pulling into the circus. Yes, that's right. It's time for us to talk about... Uh, we're going back to the US. Uh, we're going back to a combination of the anti-monopoly hearing with uh, ripped Chad Greg Stubbe that we talked about uh, oh, a couple I months ago. Uh, hey, you still around? You don't got to miss him. Uh, Greg Stubbe and I have been, uh, we've been estranged for some time. Yeah. Mm. Uh, anyway, uh, so um, basically that commission has now published its report. Uh, to catch people up, that commission was a. It was going to investigate who was go- who killed JFK. Yeah, that's right. It was the yeah. Wong Commission. It was a stitch up. <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> now there's not not enough likes on these here Facebook posts, and we're going to get to the bottom of <laughs> Wait, it. I just love <laughs> of engagement. Yeah. No, I, so I really like the idea of what of of fucking uh, uh, Jim Garrison getting on the plane with that. Um, with the Walter Matthau character in JFK just being like, <laughs> and, and the Walter Matthau character just being like, 20 likes on a post by Greg Stubbe. Now we are say, saying the Marines that that dog got full draws. It means he's no good. That sounds, uh, genuinely sounds to me like apparently the Republicans are being led by like a bunch of escaped conservatives who've lived in Brazil for six generations. Like, I mean, I just like the movie JFK. I'm just here to talk about the film JFK by Oliver Stone. Yeah, y- y- y'all can talk about whatever you want. I'm going to be talking about the film JFK in a Brazilian accent. <laughs> the Enigma Machine Man, I like again. the part in the film where they get shot. <laughs> My so, lean your rides again. Basically, yeah. what happens is um, uh, Jim Cicilline and um, Pramila, Pramila Jayapal were the two like Democratic um, like, Congress people who were like leading on this. And because it's the Democrat-controlled House, it's a Democrat-controlled report. There are some Republicans on the committee. Those include Greg Stubbe and Jim Jordan and Matt Gatz and people that we've talked about and, and know and love and, to be honest, miss. Um, anyway, their report has, again, by the standards of the Democratic Party, been good in terms of what an antitrust report can be. Basically, they recommend aggressive 
and actually quite, and I use this word with uh, no hint of irony, forensic. Uh, activities uh, to actually reduce the power of the Silicon Valley giants, mm. and and this and again, they're not recommending just oh we recommend that you know Mark Mark Zuckerberg takes an unconscious bias training or whatever. They're actually recommending things that will materially reduce the actual power of all of these behemoths over American society generally. I simply do not believe you. The the, the Democrats <laughs> are doing something like actually legislatively coherent. In fairness, Pramila Jayapal is somebody that's it's like equivalent to a sort of Zara Sultana character in the US yeah. in the sense that like here's someone who absolutely is right on all the issues, but ninety-nine percent of her colleagues are complete idiots. Yeah. Basically uh-huh. it's and and Jim Cis and Jim Ciceline is another guy who's like he's he's a Democratic representative, longstanding. Is he is I don't know, his record is mixed, but on this particular issue he's pretty good. Um and so like the Democratic Party has actually managed to see Silicon Valley and big tech as an adversary, which that's new. That's new as of 2018 because Obama Democrats never did that. Obama Democrats saw Silicon Valley as part of the endless onward march of prosperity that needs to basically not be hampered by the don't, government. Don't give me hope. Between this and like if they flip the Senate having Bernie as finance chairman, don't give me hope that things might get better. Don't do that. Uh, Oh well, no, don't worry. I'm about to undermine that. Thank but, um, you. Uh, Ten years of climate. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah so, that's uh, Corey, b- before mm. I before I go on any further, I want to throw to you. What are your first inclinations about this kind of development? So I think I'm a little more uh, positive about this stuff than than you guys are. I I mean I'm I don't I don't think that um, markets solve all of our problems or that markets are are a long term solution. But one of the things markets do do is like uh, pillage each other's margins, right? Like that there's there's a thing that VCs like to do, which is make money. And if there's someone out there who's making a lot of money, they'd like to get a piece of it. And one of the things we know about from the tech industry is that anything that the big tech companies are into is is uh, termed by investors as the kill zone, and they won't invest in it. So you have these companies with like double-digit year-on-year growth and tens of billions of dollars in profit, and no one will invest in it. And that's got lots of problems, you know, on the, on the one hand for like the network being pretty stagnant and in terms of the U.S. position relative to other countries, it's not good. I mean, you know, back in the 80s, there was this idea that if we broke up AT&T, it would deliver the electronics industry to Japan, who are these ex-fascists who just copied American stuff, and we needed our national oh, champion. Oh, no, fascists. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? And then, you know, it turns out oh, that AT&T is like guys. major occupation. The thing they like to do with their monopoly was prevent modems, right? So so breaking up AT&T turned out to be pretty freaking good for, for American tech. And you know, In the pocket I, of big modem. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, I I think that that uh, we could do a lot here. And I think the other thing that's very exciting about the idea of of dispelling the kind of doctrine of Robert Bork, who was Ronald Reagan's court sorcerer, who said that the only time we should use anti-monopoly law is if you can absolutely prove that two companies are conspiring to make prices go up tomorrow. And if it's if if that's not happening, you can do whatever you want. And, and there are a lot of industries now that are concentrated in ways that let them distort policy much more than than historically they've been able to, uh, you know, whether that's finance or, or logistics or, um, you know, pro wrestling, that all of these industries have like collapsed down to two or three or five companies. And, you know, some of the companies that are like behind this anti-big tech Jeremiah are themselves super 
concentrated, right? The, 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 the uh, entertainment industry and the telecoms industry are definitely funding some of this energy. And they're making this bizarre bet that like Congress will reinvigorate antitrust, break up Google and Facebook, and then like go like, Comcast, that looks fine to me. Why would we do anything about Comcast? Disney Fox, that's great. A right? rare so case, a rare good case of the I never thought leopards would eat my face. <laughs> no shit, right? <laughs> so there's all of that. And, and, and um, you know, when you look at the tech companies, that the way that they grew is by doing things that antitrust used to prohibit, right? They buy their competitors, they merge with their major competitors, they create vertical monopolies. Like Google is the one and a half products company. They In-house, they made a search engine and a Hotmail clone. And everything else that they've done that's successful, they bought from someone else, and everything they tried to do in-house failed. So I think that there's like- Wait, are you saying that people following my Google Wave account are yeah, no longer exactly. reading my waves? And you know, the most <laughs> hilarious- when people don't read my waves. I mean, look at look at Alphabet, right? So I think that one of the reasons that Alphabet exists and exists in addition to like dodging taxes is to create fracture lines for eventual antitrust enforcement, because they are like galaxy brain enough to to want to do that. And, and they want- like antitrust enforcers to come along and go, well, I mean, why would we separate uh, search from advertising when app when uh, Google has made it so easy for us to break off the company that makes the Wi-Fi balloons and that other company that makes unsuccessful smart cities? Surely those are the things that are holding back competition <laughs> for Google. And, you know, compare and like the thing is, that's a good strategy compared to Facebook, which leaked a memo this week with their antitrust strategy, which was... Um, when we bought uh, uh, Insta and WhatsApp, you didn't tell us that we couldn't. And the EU told us that we could do it, provided we didn't do some stuff that we actually ended up doing later, like, you know, that we lied about. And <laughs> and also, like, we, 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 you know, the fact that you didn't ask us if we were buying them for anti-competitive reasons, which Zuck later admitted and is now in the record that he bought Insta because he wanted to stop people from leaving Facebook for a rival. So he bought the rival they were defecting to, which is radioactively illegal. Um, he said, like, just just because you didn't ask me if I was doing this for a crime reason and just because I committed fraud is no reason to unwind this merger. We spent so <laughs> much money integrating these companies now. Think of how much money we would lose if you didn't want us to do crimes or fraud. You should have just denied us the merger altogether, which, you know, that makes Google strategy. That makes Alphabet look like a, a brilliant fucking move in terms of controlling the eventual antitrust yeah, so, enforcement. And also, I mean, the, the weird handshake meme between me and Mark Zuckerberg is like, yes, they should have denied you the right to buy Instagram. <laughs> well, it's the, uh, it's the classic thing of, officer, I was too drunk to know what the legal uh, blood alcohol limit was. <laughs> <laughs> How could I possibly be held responsible? Well, I was thinking about another story, and Corey, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but I imagine you are the when Chattanooga, Tennessee decided to create municipal broadband yeah. and like offer... Uh, basically fiber to the premises and like basically gigabit internet available everywhere. The, the hardest part of that wasn't, as I understand it, wasn't the technical implications of doing that in a city of, you know, like Chattanooga. It was endless legal bullshit from both Democrats and Republican representatives trying to stop them from interfering with, I think it was either Time Warner or Comcast's monopoly on shitty broadband. And even in places where Time Warner or Comcast refused to provide broadband service to more rural locales within like the general area of governance or like neighboring counties. They were like, no, we're going to get a court injunction to stop you from doing this because we might someday if we get around to it. Yeah. Uh, I like mean, this is the, this stuff is my bread and butter. The, the broadband policy actually makes tech policy look really good by comparison. So the frontier collapsed at the start of the plague. 
They were one of the one of the monopolists here. Wow, and- they've been around for a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, the, the current plague, the current plague, and they, oh, okay. they, uh, I forget which plague we're on. Sometimes they dump docs, right? They, they did a, they did a, an Enron, right? They, they were like, ah, oh, we don't even want to pay lawyers to redact shit before we put it in the public domain. So we know what they were doing. So one of the things that they did was they booked one million households where there was no competitive offering as an asset on their balance sheet because they could under maintain and uh, an overcharge for that broadband. But the best cool. part, and and you'll love this because you love the wonky finance stuff they did a projection that said that they could make 800 million dollars by rolling out 100 gigabit fiber to 3 million households but they decided not to do it because the c-suite was paid entirely in stock and the major uh, analysts that control their share price will downrank any company that makes a capex investment that amortizes over more than five years and the amortization was 10 years so they were like i don't need 800 million dollars for my shareholders because that would be bad for my compensation this year and it's hilarious except there are now three million households in america who are like on dsl that is dipped in in gutta percha and wrapped in newspaper and draped over shrubs and that's how their kids are getting their education that's how they're getting their telemedicine awesome i mean it is terrible and you know by contrast you know muni fiber is wild so there's there's a county jackson county that they call uh uh silicon hauler and they're mm-hmm. they're yeah. one of the appalachian counties that still has a rural telephone com- uh, uh, co-op from the from the new deal era and they uh, decided that they were going to pull fiber to every household in the county. It was it's the poorest majority white county in America. They got a mule called Old Bub to to pull the fiber through the mountain passes. They raised the median wage awesome. to twenty five dollars an hour, uh, doing like uh, remote support and teaching English to rich Chinese kids. There's an entire cohort of of little emperors who now speak English with thick Appalachian accents, which is awesome. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, and and you know like like the 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 Alec right the 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 you know the American Legislative Exchange Committee yeah, yeah. they promulgate these anti muni broadband laws and the talking points they hand to these dim bulb far right dingbats about why it's bad for cities to provide fiber is that would be government controlled communications and what they totally don't get mm. is that the First Amendment prohibits speech based uh, uh, discrimination. Which means that if you had 100 gigabit fiber in your town, you could stick a server in the basement that was on a 100 gigabit pipe and you could run 8Con off of it and they couldn't shut you down just because it was full of right wing nut based conspiracy theories because that would be that would violate the First Amendment. Like unlike your ISP, unlike your CDN, your city cannot practice speech based prohibitions. And so like if you want nut job right wing speech platforms, your shortest path to glory is to have the government provide your fiber. Mm. Like, I'm worried about surveillance and shit. If you're listening, Matt Katz. Well, yeah. I, listen to this. I found I found <laughs> yeah. a way to be uh, depressed about the Democrats, which is yeah. like, oh, don't, don't worry. I have reasons. They're in the notes. But hey, what are yours? It's me, your cousin Marvin, Marvin Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> you know that new idea you've been talking about? Well, listen to this. The, my reason, <laughs> but, uh, my reason for being depressed, right, is aside from the whole ten years of livable climate left thing, is. We we are going backwards once again. I, I would characterize this as a, it's an extremely good 
uh, legislative package. It's also yeah. the finest antitrust law the 1910s can give us. Like, <laughs> it, 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 if you kind of like write in, you know, yes, maybe we shouldn't have these enormous monopolies. Uh, also, Serbs no longer allowed to touch your uncooked meat. <laughs> they do have they do have some sui generis stuff. The interop stuff in there, which is not getting enough attention, is actually super important because uh, yeah. there there I, are like major down, barriers actually. to that. Yeah. Uh, but so basically, just uh, moving on a little bit, right? I think I want to sort of also note here that antitrust is is good. It's good to do, uh, but it's also an extraordinarily limited goal for a socialist to have because it's about taming. It's about taming the excesses of the market so that its abuses are not as bad and that its outcomes are not as, uh, you might say, oriented to executive compensation yeah, you, in the way that you, you describe. You're talking about like Corey, crony right? capitalism or whatever instead yeah. of like... Yeah, yeah. This is... A, it is because like the, the whole point, right, is that you know, if, if you want to go back to your Marx, it's that, is that capitalism is fundamentally contradictory, but the... the well, the main contradiction, the tendency of the rate of profit to fall, essentially, is something that happens over a long time. And anti-monopoly is something that like pushes the clock back by 10 minutes, but it doesn't change the operation of the clock. It's the same clock. It's just what you're doing is you're solving today's problem. But the thing is, you know, they broke up the oil, mono breaking up the oil monopolies and trying to break up the telephone monopolies and trying to break up Microsoft, which ended up in a settlement and Bill Gates is richer than he's ever been. The because you haven't changed the clock, you've just moved it back. You've made things better, but they're going to get worse again in a way that you can't necessarily predict. And so that's what I mean, right? As, as someone who doesn't live in America, not American, um, I don't like to say you should do X or Y. But if you're, th uh, my thinking here is if you're thinking about voting for the Democratic Party in terms of harm reduction, you're going to do a harm reduction vote for Biden. This is the kind of thing that counts as that. Because it is a specific, it is, and I'm not, again, this is harm reduction, as far as I'm concerned. This is moving back the clock. This is making things not as bad, but you're not taking the clock apart. You're not building a new kind of machine. It is essentially, it seems like this is the first democratic policy I've seen that looks actually like it would meet the minimum threshold for what harm reduction is. Vote for Marianne Williamson and let's do some fucking uh, <laughs> yeah, Dali some shit on the clock. <laughs> we're gonna do some let's get some melting fucking clocks. I mean, yeah, we're going to have I a mean, gong bath. I, What's up? I think you're yeah. right, though. I think this is like the best you can expect from the Democratic Party as it currently exists. Because, like, no matter how left-wing a Democrat you elect, you're never going to get something out of a congressional subcommittee that's like, yeah, first of all, we take these 50 guys and we hang them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> now, you talk to a Republican, you might just get that. Well, that's <laughs> well, that's why I keep making that joke about why it's easier to do entryism into the Republican Party or the Conservatives. It's because they're already primed for that kind of revolutionary oh. shit. So the other thing that's good about this is that it gets us away from the dim bulb Democrat critique of big tech, which is like, you know, Google built a mind control ray to sell you fidget spinners and Robert Mercer stole it to make your uncle racist. Which you know, they didn't do I that. Why do I have all these fidget spinners? My Why am I racist? racist on his own? <laughs> yeah. You know, Why do all these fidget spinners have gollywogs on them? You know, they, they like just failed to notice that everyone who ever claimed to be able to do mind control was either kidding themselves or you or both. 
And, you yeah. know, it's the same problem with the tech industry itself, that the main strain of the tech industry's critique of itself is, oh, my God, we built mind control rays. What can we do now? As opposed to, like, <laughs> our bosses yeah. are, our bo you know, this is the part where you write about it being just like Standard Oil. Our bosses are common or garden sociopath mediocrities who have done exactly the same shit that fucking Carnegie did and Mellon did and Rockefeller did. And, and mostly what we need to nerf them is the same stuff that we did to nerf those other industries back in the day yeah, like henry clay they, frick yeah yeah um, yeah they want to think that they're, they think henry they're clay super frick, but they changed it ellis island <laughs> that's right. a, that was a really FCC. deep cut which yeah. is also what henry clay frick said <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so uh, so i just think that that um you know there is another explanation for how google makes us believe in correct things which is it's the place where we go to ask all of our questions and so if the answer is wrong then we might believe something false it's not because they have used machine learning to sort us into big five personality types to figure out how to get us to believe wrong things uh and yeah. you know that that dominance rather than mind control narrative is one that that we're really like at a crossroads on because you know if you believe it's mind control then you have to believe that like breaking up the companies or pluralizing their power would be a terrible idea. It's like if you if there's a comet hurtling towards the Earth and you're like, we should blow it up. And they're out there going, no, 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 that'll make a meteor shower. It's going to wipe out all the cities individually. Um, and, and, you know, we just need to get on that comet and steer it instead of trying to break it up. And if you actually are like, no, these guys are just not as smart as they think they are. They're not doing what they think they can do. They're kidding themselves. They're also kidding the advertisers who buy their stuff. They lie all the time. They lie in their sales literature too. You know, like that, 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 you know, the argument that goes like, oh, Google lied when they said Street View vans wouldn't steal our Wi-Fi data. And Facebook lied when it said it wouldn't use data from Instagram and mix it with data from, from FB. Uh, and, and, you know, look at how much these guys lie and, and look at how truthful they are in their patent filings and sales literature is, has such an, in, an internal inconsistency that we're really struggling with at the moment. And additionally, right, if you want to, if you want a contemporary example, an even more contemporary example of that is that the information commissioner's office office here found formally that Cambridge Analytica is no different from a normal ad agency. It's just a normal ad agency that happened to be the subject of like a FBPE liberal conspiracy theory that like Dominic Cummings tricked the country into Brexit with memes. And, yeah, well, I mean, it's also like the conspiracy theory that Cambridge Analytica themselves peddle, right? Yeah, it's Which is like, oh, yeah, like we're, we're geniuses. And right. it's like, no, you just worked out that people in Britain love racism. I could have told you that. <laughs> it's pretty it's, fucking, like, every headline writer of the fucking Daily Mail has known that for 40 years. It's not fucking difficult. And to bring it to your bread and butter, which is, you know, finance scams, this is the same finance scam as P and, and, um, and hedge funds, which is like, I, I promise you I can outperform the FTSE. Right. And no, they can't. Right. They're they're all all they're doing is losing money for rich people. But the proof that they're really good at it, that we hold up is uh, that rich people give them their money. And since rich, rich people are, by definition, smart, if they're giving them money, then the thing that they're giving money to must work. And, you know, there's a totally different possibility, which is that they're running a con on rich people, too. Well, it's the it's the classic sort of again liberal assumption that is uh, essentially that if every if all of the outcomes in the world are the product of you know free economic transactions that people actually wanted to do you know then therefore at every moment you know everything in the world is the product of rational economic actors expressing their preferences and so this is the best of all yeah, possible and, and that those personal traits make a difference so you have svengali dominic cummings or you have like chess master vladimir putin or whatever 
Yeah, but additionally, well that the po- and that the the and that what politics should do to tech is make sure it doesn't distort those preferences, so that the world is always the best possible world, which means no machine learning, dark magic, which again is horseshit. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But so, uh, just to, just in case we were going to get too pleased about what the Democrats were actually managing to apparently do by being serious about one thing one time for once, um. The Republicans on the committee are, of course, uh, kicking up a big fuss and doing the classic one-two, where Matt Gatz, Jim Jordan, and Jim Jordan, I haven't heard from Stubby, I'm sorry, have uh, basically said- getting swole. Have basically said that they're going to boycott from signing this report. They're not going to sign this report because it doesn't contain like a stolen likes acknowledgement for them at the beginning of it. <laughs> stolen likes <laughs> acknowledgement. That's a very good bit. You should, um, you should use that again. Uh, so- uh, and uh, I meant that genuinely. It came out of it like, like just beginning, beginning the Republican National Convention with a stolen likes acknowledgement yeah. because Don Jr.'s TikToks haven't been getting the engagement they deserve. Wait, genuinely though, this is why it's to Facebook's advantage to like oh. make Greg Stubbe furious about not seeing like uh, videos about hydroxychloroquine or whatever. Is that the, the, like? Him caring about that is the only thing preventing them from massive antitrust <laughs> trouble. And in this case, right, it's I think when we talked about this last, Nate, you made the point like, you know, none of these conspiracies are new. Like the John Birch Society, like it's it's money didn't come from nowhere. You know, but in yes. this case, what we're looking at is is that it's not that they necessarily they've invented conspiracies, but what they've done is they've vertically integrated Google and mm. the John Birch Society in the form I, of YouTube. I badly want to like propose the existence of like a dark unit at Facebook that whose only role is to do the actual persecution of conservatives that they think is happening in order to get them not to vote for antitrust legislation. Like the Facebook bounces what? Yeah, like there is purely like some black hat Facebook freak logging in to delete Greg Stubbe's likes. I mean, this this <laughs> was inevitable, awesome. right? Like once once you know there was this moment where you know Alex Jones fans and and Tucker Carlson fans were waking up and going, "Wait a second, you mean that it's not just like anti pipeline activists that get excluded from Facebook? This is an outrage!" And and suddenly like got FDR gospel and we're 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 calling for breakups and antitrust and interventions in the market and whatever. And, you know, eventually some of their paymasters are going to wake up and go, you know, this ends with them breaking up oil, right? Like, you can't do this. Mm. This is the thing I kind of think there's almost, and I'm not sure if anyone is quite smart enough to do this, but there's like a way you can almost like judo style use the momentum of conservatives against them. Because especially in the US, they're mad about things for such insane reasons that they're often mad about the same things that you're mad about, but for just some completely absurd like QAnon reason. So like you get them really mad about Facebook and then use it just to sneak in massive antitrust legislation (laughs) because they're mad about like, I deleted my picture of all my sons. Yeah. That's the historic populist move, right? That's where populists have both uh, uh, won ground and and you know brought great shame upon themselves is finding those natural mm. coalitions. Mm. And but yeah, so uh, to 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 conclude the, the what the Republicans are doing, yeah, it's like yeah, on the conspiracy plat on the con- on the platforms they're trying to regulate, they're learning the conspiracies that are about like the stolen likes, and so they're being like, we're not going to sign anything, and then. Ken Buck strolls into the room, another Republican, and says, I can get those, you know, you know, hoo-hahs, I can get you know, Yosemite Sam to sign whatever you want if you defang it completely. 
So mm. now he's released a report called The Third Way, which is between some oh, dumb no. bullshit Matt Gatz invented to get mad at. Why do I and- hear the words The Third Way and immediately yeah. think, oh yeah, the fix is in? Yeah. <laughs> well, because, I mean, in effect, because you'd be right. Right. So it's that if the Republicans are going to sign on to it, because like a bunch of them are sort of super insane and are just going to are just saying, like, we're mad about an invented problem that can't possibly be solved unless, Alice, that bit you did is true, which maybe it is. Um, in which it, case, it, it, like, but, Ken Buck just sends an email and, like, Greg Stubbe's likes come back. They all come back. Yeah. I can make the likes come back, Greg. Yeah. So, yeah, Ken Buck basically waters down the, li- the the actual recommendations enough such that they become pointless. Mm. So, like, that, for example, like, the interoperability and data portability is taken out of his report, which, Corey, you said was quite important and we should talk about before we go on to, like, why this is a labor issue. All of these things are removed. Right. And so if anything is going to pass in the House, because there are enough recalcitrant Democrats, it will probably need some Republicans, which means the only viable version of this bill, unless there's like an insane blue wave in 2020 and Mr. Nothing will fundamentally change Joe Biden, you know, just he he forgets what he said and decides to sign off on it. There is one thing about Biden, and I'm not a particularly big fan of Biden, and obviously we don't have to rehash harm mitigation things. Obviously, he's better than Trump. But Biden really fucking hates the tech industry, and even when he yeah. was still kind of lucid, yeah, he really hates he's the tech. Confused. Because he's yeah. I remember it. reading a thing where he basically was was kind of hit, hitting at them uh, during, I want to say during the recession, like when he was vice president, where basically there was some some testimony or something along those lines where he basically told Facebook, he's like, you do realize that you you talk about being like these great fucking job creators for the entire country and you employ less people across or fewer people in your entire industry than the number of people who lost jobs just in the car industry last month. Yeah. Like it strikes me that I'm not trying to, like I said, not trying to do hagiography of Joe Biden, but more along the lines of like there is an extent to which when it's going after tech, I do think that you might see some... Yeah. Some more, whereas like when it comes to, for example, going after oil companies or going after the defense industry, like it's even a, a harder sell for your for both Biden and your mainstream Democrats. He finds his son's Instagram stories confusing. He doesn't like <laughs> it. Yeah, because his son's his son's Instagram stories are all about like getting married to someone he met earlier like, that uh, morning and then uh, relapsing into crack. How do I delete this? <laughs> um, the problem with so the yeah. problem with Biden's uh, anti-tech activism is that it's it, it lacking any kind of under underlying understanding of the issues he tends to fall with these easy solutions that are not going to fix anything like you know mm-hmm. reforming the communications decency act which is the thing that immunizes platforms for for bad speech acts on the platform and there's this kind of you know thin liberal critique of this that just goes like why should they make money from hate and what they don't realize is that if you think mark zuckerberg is really bad at moderating speech then saying you have to moderate more speech and you should always err on the side of caution is not going to end up with the people you like having more of their speech promulgated on platforms that uh, Mark Zuckerberg owns. And it's also going to mean that anyone who wants to compete with Mark Zuckerberg is going to need to start with like a couple hundred million dollars to hire and train a bunch of moderators to censor speech just like yours. Yeah, you can only you can only post on Facebook now if your post has the words "Yas Queen" in it. That's right. going to be the rule. So, um, so essentially, right? It's it's it is. I think it's um, you should one one should not necessarily hold out too much hope that the report as it is is going to be the document that creates whatever law happens. But it seems as though again, it seems like it's taking it seriously. Because remember, there's a meaningful like transformation in America. And again, don't forget, antitrust is harm reduction. 
meaning but meaningful like positive political action in in America, the the first obstacle it faces is that the Democrats suck, and then it has hundreds subsequently to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, this I is would, just the first one. A this, whole fucking Rube Goldberg yeah. machine of problem, and it just it seems like they've gotten this one thing sort of right. Can um, I be the voice but, of hope yeah. here? I, I've yes. got hope here. So I, I actually okay. just, I published a book about this in August. With, She's uh, got the coronavirus. Get her out. <laughs> <laughs> with, with, with one zero called uh, How to Destroy Surveillance Capitalism. That's kind of like it's monopolies, not not mind control it's in, in, the, in the long. But w- the end of it is, is my hope message, which is that uh, it's true that tech is like a powerful adversary and the Dems kind of suck at this stuff. But what we do have is a bunch of people who are laboring under harms for market concentration in labor uh, and as uh, purchasers and as human beings on Earth whose planet is being destroyed by monopolies. And, you know, back before we had the term ecology, you had a thousand issues like owls or the ozone layer, but they weren't a movement. And the term ecology turned a thousand issues into one movement with a thousand ways to get involved in the same way that other big frames, right? Like the uh, frames about class and so on can gather a bunch of people who think they have disparate issues and under a single umbrella. And I think that pluralism and self-determination, which is one of the reasons I think interoperability is so important because, you know, it's, it's not that we need to fetishize competition for its own sake, but rather the idea that it, it, you have to take what you're given in terms of how the things that you live your life with work and you can't modify them or ask someone else to modify them to make them suit your idiosyncratic needs and use cases is really bad for us. And I think that there are a lot of people who are pissed off about monopoly in lots of domains. They don't know it, right? They think that they're pissed off that their favorite wrestlers are begging on GoFundMe for money to die with dignity in their 50s because there's only one wrestling league left and they've been reclassified as contractors and lost their medical insurance. But really, they're pissed off at the absence of of anti-monopoly enforcement. And with that kind of movement, right, then, then maybe we can see some action. Maybe that's... That's how we get around this problem. Mm. And I mean, I think like the thinking about this as a as a issue that you hope a politician will solve. This is about as like it. All of those problems sort of stack up where, OK, well, for this is why like extrapolating this is a labor issue, because first, the Democrats have to not suck, which I've never seen that really before for quite a while. Um, and then they have to get it through Republicans, then it, committee, blah, blah, blah. But like the if you want to look at things that have made tech companies do less awful things in recent history without having to go through the Rube Goldberg machine that starts with the Democrats not sucking, it tends to be labor action. If you if you look at, again, the the programmers that work together to refuse to work with ICE and so on, it's, the, it's, the, it's these kinds of, of things that I think are going to be the things that give us the more durable change. Yeah, right? They did it deliberately to uh, annoy Matt Iglesias. That's right. Um, and, you know, also the, the la- uh, last couple of, 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 or at least my last thought on this before I, I, I turn over uh, back to you, Corey, for a little more discussion of a maybe more recent book. Um, it's also that I, I personally, and again, I think I might get some disagreement here from our guest. I personally think that monopolism isn't necessarily that bad depending on who has it, right? Like I don't, I personally would quite like if the state has a monopoly on, say, the power generation or whatever. You know, and I don't necessarily want to have five different social networks and nine different search engines and so on. But I just it's what I don't like. It's not that it's a monopoly. It's that it's a private monopoly. I think so. So I think that the the idea of the idea, I think socialists have to not forget 
that the goal isn't it for us anyway isn't better competition no it's to be it more is, like mitch mcconnell of all people yeah. and be a dead-eyed yeah. psycho who has a political goal and knows yeah. how mm-hmm. to exercise power in service of it yeah and also can turn his head 180 degrees yeah. and in, practice and turning your case, head more and more every day yeah and in in this case anti-monopolism moves towards the goal of uh, i guess you could say light side mitch mcconnell but i i think we have to uh, for our part anyway have to remember that that's not the end goal that's harm reduction on the way to the end goal um but uh basically Corey, you've also written uh in your most recent book attack surface about how um which is a, a fiction book but i you know fiction can be a powerful way to transmit these messages about how workers can simply decline to engage in the sort of more terrific abuses that monopolies enable. Yeah. So Attack Surface is the third Little Brother book. uh, And those were these uh, YA novels I wrote in the last decade. Well, last decade and the decade before Little Brother and Homeland. And uh, it's a standalone sequel about a young woman who appears at the beginning and the end of those other two books. She's a kind of uh, antagonist in those books. She's a surveillance contractor. We, we meet her first as a, a DHS employee spying on, on insurgent movements in the U.S. and then as a Beltway bandit trying to disrupt um, militias in Iraq uh, and a forward operations base. And then finally as a surveillance contractor for a company a lot like the NSO group trying to put down color revolutions in the former Soviet Union. And along the way, she's she's trying to figure out how to look in the mirror and feel like a good person. And, you know, I think a lot of us who got involved with technology started off by being intoxicated by the sense of autonomy and self-determination you get when you figure out how to get a computer to do something well and forever, or you get on a network and you find people who have ideas that you've never been able to express and and make communities with them. And, And yet her job is taking that away from them. And she, uh, her whole life is engaged in this compartmentalization to, to try and make herself feel good about herself and doing self-destructive shit like teaching the dissidents that she's spying on how to resist the surveillance tools that she's installing in the National Telco Center. And this goes very badly for her. You know, her boss is like an, uh, an ex-East German surveillance colonel who's now uh, in industry as an executive. She ends up leaving the country and going back to San Francisco where she finds to her horror that her childhood best friend, who's now a Black Lives Matter activist, is being targeted with the same cyber weapons that she's been building. And, and it's about her like moral reckoning with herself. You know, I, 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 as you say, we had these amazing labor moments in the last year. We had 20,000 people walk out of Google. We had all of the refusals to build facial recognition or work with ICE. And, you know, trying to figure out the story that those people tell themselves when they go to work and they do their thing is, is I think, a big part of how we change who builds what and, and, and what they end up building. And Little Brother and Homeland were, were significant for me because of all of the people who came up to me after I published them to say, like, the reason I'm a cryptographer, the reason I'm a security researcher, the reason I'm a human rights activist or a cyber lawyer is because I read these books and they made me, on the one hand, very excited about the possibilities of technology and on the other, very frightened about what happens if they fall into the wrong hands, if the wrong people get to decide how the the tools work. And I'm hoping that this book reaches a similar kind of audience, people who are currently in the industry, people who know how to build this stuff, people who talk themselves into thinking that it's inevitable that they do it. And and who frankly, like, you know, there's only five big companies that'll hire them or small companies that are hoping to be bought by those big five companies. And so feel that they're corralled into it and, and to realize that they have far more in common 
with the users that they're taking autonomy away from than they do with their bosses. Well, if you are a if you are a tech worker and you are feeling some questions about uh, whether whether or not what you're doing is uh, worthwhile, moral, or conducive to the long term survival of the human race, uh, might I recommend uh, that, that you, it isn't? <laughs> might, I, might, I, might I say that uh, a you're probably right, but b why not read Attack Surface anyway? Yeah, yeah. And there's a why and not? if you like and if you like audio, um, you know I won't allow DRM on any of my books, and so Macmillan didn't want my audio rights because Amazon owns the only audiobook store, like ninety five percent of the markets in Audible, and they require DRM. So I kept the rights and I made my own audiobook. Uh, paid union scale to Amber Benson from Buffy to come and record it. Uh, and we've released it as a DRM free download. It's and it'll be out on the 13th of October in every audiobook store except Audible. It's an Audible exclusive. It's exclusive of Audible. <laughs> That's right. Well, the, the funny <laughs> thing is... You get a version read by Yerk van der Klerk. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It uh, was the best of times down at the technology factory. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Some workers were on one side of the factory, the other workers were on the other side with a thin wall between them. <laughs> so uh, if you want a, a version of Attack Surface read by uh, Jerk Vanderklerk, that's available on only one audiobook store and you have yeah. to find out what it is. Uh, yeah. Also, the rest of the Johannes Vonk and the Cloghead shirts, they're also there in every size. So yeah. uh, get hunting. Yeah, go find it. It's, yeah. a, it's an, it, one of the bunkers in Albania. Yeah, exactly. It's in one of the bunkers of Albania. You have to find out you'll, which you'll one. You'll know because it has a glass screen on the door. <laughs> <laughs> Bunker screens. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. what we call it. All right. So, hey, I also noticed that we are going super long. So, uh, Corey, I want to thank you very much yeah, for coming back uh, on this show. I, I really enjoyed it, guys. You, you, you're so much fun, and I love the show, and I listen all week, and I don't know how you put out as much audio as you do. And as someone who lived in London for 13 years, I'm really enjoying Britonology. Oh, oh well, thank you. you. That means a lot because we uh, we didn't think it was going to be a hit, and the fact that it has been yeah. has blown our minds. Who so. doesn't love a little bit of Britonology? Personally, mm. I think that the next Britonology you have out might have your handsomest guest ever. <laughs> <laughs> Yuck, <right>. Vandeklug. <laughs> <laughs> Johannes Vonk himself. <laughs> Johannes Vonk and his clogged heads? Yeah. <laughs> Apart from Muhammad, R.I.P. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, hey, uh, anyway... Um, in other words, uh, you know, sub to the Patreon. Uh, uh, we have various links in the in the episode notes. You know what it is. Yeah, support bail mm. fund, support the London Runners Union. There's links yep. in the show notes for those as well. Yeah, I, I am I am absurdly I'm so mad that Marcus Brown is still in jail, comrade. Mar I know. Deincarcerate comrade Marcus <laughs> Brown. Yeah, fund the expedition to find uh, what oil drum Jan Marzalek is currently decomposing <laughs> in. Uh, we will return his remains to an Austrian basement where they belong. <laughs> and uh, you know the theme song. It's Here We Go by Ginseng. Listen early, listen often, and don't forget, check out Hell of a Way to Die. Well, there's your problem. Uh, mm. The whole 10K post. Yeah, the 10K post. Our Twitch stream, the YouTube. I'm getting all of them in. Uh, oh, the, the YouTube zone the is Twitch, so good. The Twitch stream now is just us watching YouTube videos. It's so good. <laughs> it's so much fun. And it's better than it's ever been, baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so with all of that in mind, uh, uh, twitch.com slash trashfuturepodcast.tv. Uh, with all that in mind... <laughs> Uh, I want to thank you for listening. Thank Corey again for being here. Thank my uh, wonderful and handsome co-hosts and uh, very pretty co-hosts for being oh, yeah. all where they are and all who they are. And see you later. Oh.